This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. Our recent storms and hurricanes are causing flooding in areas they're not supposed to on paper outside of FEMA's designated high-risk flood zones, but they are. And tens of thousands of people across the southeastern United States have been flooded in the past two years. Most had no flood insurance, so they've had to pay out of pocket to fix the damage, or they have to walk away from their homes. It's happening right now in the Florida Panhandle, about an hour from my hometown. And it's happening to residents whose homes and businesses got swamped during Hurricane Michael in 2018. We'll talk with a resident of Mexico Beach, Florida, in a minute who lived through this storm's landfall and didn't have flood insurance. Michael's Category 5 winds of 160 miles an hour pushed a storm surge of 15 and a half feet through Mexico Beach and nearby coastal areas. These areas on a FEMA flood map were marked as X zones and they were not supposed to flood, but we saw a different story. As a result, 80% of flood losses in the Panhandle were uninsured. We'll learn how that city is fighting back with tougher new local ordinances. Also on today's Florida Insurance Roundup, we'll talk with an insurance agent who says that while more people are now buying flood insurance post-storm, many more could be protective agents were only more proactive and and involved in pro-consumer education. Whether you're an insurance company, executive, an insurance agent, a local government official, or a homeowner or business owner, this is a program you're not going to want to miss. And we'll also talk with an inland Florida resident whose neighborhood began flooding during recent rains, prompting her to make the call on flood insurance to her insurance agent. The more she's learned, the more concern she's gotten. So first, joining us is Dina Batista, a resident of Mexico Beach. Her home was one of the few in her neighborhood that survived Hurricane Michael's floodwaters. Dina, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Certainly. I met Mayor Al Cathy, the mayor of Mexico Beach here in the capital, and he said that 75% of your small city was destroyed. Would you just tell us what happened to you and your neighbors last year and since? Sure. So our neighborhood um, is actually slightly inland. It's not beachfront. It's about a quarter. I think our house sits about a quarter mile inland. And most of my neighbors are even further as you go down our street. Um, and what happened in our neighborhood was was fairly significant. Um, our house is the only house that's elevated on piles. Every other house is slab on grade. And because of that and the amount of surge that we experienced during Michael. Our house was one of the only ones that survived mostly intact. Um, Every neighbor on the street had floodwaters up to their roof, essentially. Um, And so after the storm, we were really the only residents left besides one elderly um, resident on the street who lived in an upstairs bedroom of his daughter's gutted house. Um, And that was directly due to to the storm and the surge that we experienced. It's just it left no one able to inhabit their homes on our street. Unbelievable. And I know I've been back to Mexico Beach and I see some rebuilding, but thank goodness you remained intact and my sympathies to your neighbors. Now, now Trey, let me let me introduce the audience to you. I have on the on the podcast today uh, Trey Hutt. He's the owner of Hutt Insurance Agency 
in nearby Panama City, Florida, not far from Mexico Beach. So, Trey, what kind of surprise have you seen by residents, and what is the attitude in general about the need for flood insurance there in the Bay County area? Because if I recall, you've been in the business over 25 years, so you'd be just the perfect person to tell us. (laughs) Well, uh, thanks for having me on today, Lisa. I very much appreciate it. Um, The attitude, oddly enough, at least over here, um, uh, Dina is is not quite in Panama City. Uh, She's a bit east of us. But since we had less flooding during this storm over here, um, frankly, most of our clients, uh, we haven't seen a lot of change. There is more conversation. We do see a little bit more education uh, in the media and with other agents. Um, but unfortunately, even after an event like this, we're still seeing that, that too few uh, homeowners and too few property owners, I think, really have learned a lesson. And, and we're having some real challenges and have for a long time on getting that information across. Well, I I know it's kind of, it's difficult for people to understand that when they have property insurance or homeowner's insurance, they don't have floods. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to introduce to you our our retiree, Melissa Pogue, from beautiful Valrico, Florida, down in Hillsborough County. It's about 15 miles from the back bays of the Gulf of Mexico, and she's on a fixed income and has been very forthright in discussing, you know, what recent rainfall has done in her neighborhood. Melissa, tell me... uh, your interest and in, in what has happened in your neighborhood. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Um, I was just interested because I'm a retiree on a fixed income and saw some things in my neighborhood that kind of concerned me regarding, you know, the um, my home and how safe my home might be or could my home be real, rebuilt if we had a bad storm. So um, one morning I was taking a walk with my dog or whatever we had a regular rain event it was a hard rain but what it did was it left a water line almost to our doorsteps um throughout my neighborhood i walked throughout the neighborhood i had never seen that here before um we're not in what they would determine um a flood area we're in an X zone and i had never seen water stands like that in our neighborhood before so it really concerned me had you ever had Um, had your agent ever talked to you about flood insurance my agent um who's a great guy and he's a good agent never really had discussed it in any detail because i'm not in a flood i'm not in a flood zone gotcha Uh, so i think that that conversation just kind of you know they feel like there's not a need for it if you're not in a flood zone but I think as our our typography is changing, there is a need for it. And, you know, I think from your perspective, Melissa, as you saw, the fact that your zone says it's not going to flood, I think your premium was pretty reasonable when you did ask your agent and he did get you to buy it, wasn't it? Yes, it's very reasonable. It's not expensive because I'm not on any flood map anywhere, but... You know, like I said, the typography in this area is changing so much that, you know, we have rising water here when it rains hard. So I think there's a need and it's affordable. So, Trey, let me kick that over to you because you are the you're the insurance agent professional of professionals. Tell me what you do and how you would advise your colleague agents who have customers like Melissa that live in an X zone. Well, generally, um, what I think the first problem is is that people simply don't understand. Um, in our agency over the years since I've been here, we've paid an awful lot more flood claims in X zones than we have in other zones. 
Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that most people are in an X zone, but an X zone does not equal we will not flood. It just means it's less likely to flood than a special flood hazard area. Um, our agency has been very aggressive with this since Hurricane Opal in 1995. Everybody that has property insurance in our agency, uh, we offer a flood policy every single time. They either walk out of here with a flood policy that goes with their homeowner's policy as an example, or they have to sign a specific form saying, I do not want flood insurance. Um, a flood rejection form has become part of a lot of agencies' toolkit, I think. Then you get to a point where, uh, where you were just hearing about with Melissa, where her agent fails to tell her. and. In, Unfortunately, in many, many cases, uh, people no longer work for agents. They'll dial something up on the Internet or an 800 number, and they're not getting the kind of advice that they need. Well done, Trey. I think you're setting the standard here. And, and I, I just wonder if what you're doing as a matter of practice, because you are the, I'll call the insurance agents, professional professional, do you think it should be a mandatory requirement to get your colleagues and those in your business to, as a matter of course, do what you do as a matter of business. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a libertarian, so I'm a little reticent to force homeowners and property owners to buy something that they might not want, but I am very much in favor of putting the pressure on my fellow agents that, that we need to recommend things, and if necessary, we need to recommend them in writing. I will tell you that we talk a lot about this at our agent association meetings, that, uh, that we need to not only recommend flood insurance, but we need to be able to prove that we've recommended it to a client Otherwise, we might face legal action after a big storm such as Michael. Could not agree with you more. I think all of us in this day and age should be, you know, if we do something, document, document, document. That's great advice. So let me ask you, Dina, many of your 1,200 residents there in Mexico Beach, you know, were lulled into that complacency that hadn't happened in 100 years. It ain't going to happen now. And You know, there's, a lot of the maps were outdated. With respect to your day job, I know that you're a contract engineer with Dewberry Engineering, an incredible firm here in the country. What has the city done post-storm to adopt ways to get these maps to a better place, other protections for the future? What are you seeing as the path forward so we don't repeat what happened in 2018? Well, the city started off pretty aggressively trying to address the issue, first by assessing the damage post-storm. I think we um, were set apart in terms of going out and very quickly establishing substantially damaged structures to get an idea of just how expensive the flood damage or general hurricane damage was citywide in terms of the quantity of structures affected. And then after that, we did several things based on what we call the SDEs or the substantially damaged structures. Um, we implemented several things that affect those that were over 50% as far as structural damage, as well as new construction. So the first thing we did was to look at what the current effective map, uh, how good that data is, and compare it to the preliminary maps. FEMA is in the process of issuing new maps for our area. The last update, I believe, is 2009. Um, so the city took the step to first establish what maps they were going to use going forward, and they chose to use the draft best preliminary maps, even though they're not effective, which means insurance agencies may or may not look at those 
preliminary effective maps. Um, certainly by um, NFIP standards, they would base their requirements on effective maps for purchasing flood insurance. But through the city's floodplain ordinance, we're trying to address the new construction and the homes that were substantially damaged on the front end and looking at ahead to what will happen once these preliminary maps become effective. So that's the first thing we did. The other thing we did as a city was we incorporated the shaded X zones as part of the city's special flood hazard area. So obviously NFIP relies on the 100-year event and maps the special flood hazard area as the 100-year event. The city incorporated essentially the shaded X or 500-year flood event into their special flood hazard area with regards to the city's floodplain ordinance. So that means that structures in a shaded X that may not be required to purchase flood insurance still have to abide by our new floodplain ordinance with regards to the construction. The city then required that all significantly damaged structures with over 50% damage and new structures within flood zones AE, A, and shaded X construct their finished floor or raise their finished floor 18 inches above the 500-year flood elevation. Um, with respect to the VE zones, the coastal VE zones, um, those are actually, we decided to rely on DEP. They set those because it ha- just so happens all of our VE zones are within the coastal construction control line. So those finished floors are established by DEP. And when we compared DEP's model and their flood elevations to the FEMA maps, they were actually more conservative and required a higher elevation. So the city felt that that would be sufficient for that zone, the VE zone. And so let me let me interrupt you there. I mean, what you're saying is that you're completely revolutionizing the new construction or rebuilding of that area, I guess, in an attempt to think that you can withstand Mother Nature the next time. I mean, that sounds like that's the direction of Mayor Kathy, who's a great leader with you and others on the team. Is that right? Yes, and also to try to pick up exactly the gap that you all have been discussing in terms of a feeling that residents, even though they may not be required to purchase flood insurance because of the zone they're in, to try to look ahead and protect those residents with our ordinance because they, most of them may not buy flood insurance, but then through our ordinance and the actual construction, we're trying to minimize their risk for future damage. That's very helpful. Trey, I'll kick it back to you. Is Bay County, or maybe you are or not aware, are you seeing some of these aggressive uh, building code changes requirements? We're not. What we're, we're seeing that I think has been more helpful is actually a market response. While we haven't had dramatic changes over here in Bay County, and again, probably because we didn't see the level of flood damage that was seen in Mexico Beach, a lot of private insurance companies have gotten into the business and, and are selling flood insurance alongside or in competition with the NFIP. And we're finding these products are based on better data. They're often less expensive and they're almost always better coverage. Got it. So, uh, Melissa, on to you. I know that you're very involved in Hillsborough County, which, you know, I think Pinellas County, which is next door to you, is, is ground zero uh, when it comes to flood. I think it has the largest number of flood policyholders that are in the national flood program in the state. What are you seeing in construction down there in both Hillsborough and Pinellas? Any changes in, in getting ready for the big flood or what's going on down there? Uh, at least I can't really speak a whole lot to Pinellas because I'm not 
really that familiar with what kind of buildings going on there. But in Hillsborough County, our growth is moving south, really along the coastline in the South Shore area, Apollo Beach, Ruskin, Riverview. Um, that whole area would be like below sea level. And I, I see a lot of building. That's the, the maximum building going on in this area. But I don't really see any build up in the area. They're still building on foundations. They're still building close to water. I'm sure they're they're building with tighter code to try to protect probably more from wind than from flood. Gotcha. So what do we do then? And I'll throw this out to Trey, who has to deal with the insurance market. What do we do about those existing homes and in, in, say even other parts of the state that are sitting next to the water that we believe are vulnerable? And they say, you know, we can't afford to make our home uh, flood resistance or we can't afford to do this. You know, there's the, the buyout program. There's all these ideas. You know, you mentioned, you know, what your philosophy is from a from a political standpoint. But do you have people that come to you and say, I, I can't afford this? I can't afford that? Do you say, well, you can't can't you can't not afford to do that? What do you say, Trey? Uh, what we tend to say is, well, you can't afford this problem, but you can afford to have the federal government address this problem and, and your neighbors pay for it on your behalf. If if you're living in a zone that is very, very dangerous uh, and very susceptible to flooding, then I think the long-term solution is to get flood insurance priced more accurately. And since it's a political beast and it's driven by political forces more than profitability, rates are artificially suppressed. And what that does is that just encourages people to borrow money and build homes where they frankly might not should be doing got it i i couldn't agree with you more there's a bill this session um in the introduced by senator ben albritton who's an incredible american himself and it's senate bill 210 and it is it's like almost a reaction to what happened uh, to hurricane michael and that destruction it mandates that the Florida Building Code require that the entire envelope, which is a, a fancy way of saying the entire structure, both windows, doors, and roofs, which are your major openings, be built uh, to be impact resistant, you know, wind resistant. Um, and it also requires that it meet certain test criteria. Uh, the home builders, we believe, will continue that it will be make, make uh, building too expensive. Um, but, Dina, I kick it over to you as an engineer do you think the requirement to use impact-resistant glass and, and uh, you know, all the new reinforced garage doors, is that is that where y'all are heading as well in Mexico Beach? Yes, Mexico Beach addressed um, the wind damage as well as the flood damage with their new ordinance as far as the building, uh, building requirements. And I, I did want to point out, and this may be more of a question for Trey, um, if local governments take that, initiative and create local ordinances that maybe are more stringent, could it open the door to then getting increased cost of compliance to kick in so that um, homeowners that have to make these changes due to ordinances to make their homes more resilient, insurance companies kick in with that ICC or FEMA can kick in through um, hazard mitigation to help them afford the cost and um, make their, their structures more resilient. Trey, I think that's a great question. I think what you're saying, Dina, and I've often said there's a bridge between the property insurance, flood insurance industry, and the emergency management side, disaster recovery. And I think where you're headed, Dina, is that there's federal funding that comes down to help homeowners build more resilient, resiliently. 
and the increased cost of construction, which we call an insurance law and ordinance coverage, same thing. Um, you know, is that a way to continue to encourage insurance companies? What are you seeing, Trey, what she calls ICC, for a better lack of a better way of saying it, what you're familiar with is law and ordinance coverage. She's asking, would, you know, the insurance companies, as a part of their coverage, provide a way for people to rebuild uh, with these additional dollars? And I, I think I know where you're going to go with that, but does, does that crystallize what her question was, Trey? I think I think it does. I think I understand. And, and I think this has to be a partnership between building code officials, emergency management professionals, the federal government, private insurance companies. Um, and frankly, we've not always been good about playing in the same playground together and coordinating our efforts very well. I do think it might get simplified somewhat as we see more private entrance into the market uh, because the flood insurance and the homeowners or wind insurance will be on the same policy. Uh, more often. And again, I think there's going to be better data involved, which hopefully will push the, you know, sort of the aid dollars and uh, and things such as that toward the problems uh, of the same most risky properties and those most prone to flooding. Wonderful. And I think we'll save that for another podcast about how we marry the federal rebuilding dollars that, you know, the billions that are coming into the panhandle uh, with the property insurance and the flood insurance dollars. Just a statistic for you, of the on the insurance side of things, Dina, there were about 150,000 claims after Hurricane Michael, and the anticipated payout of those claims is 7.2 billion dollars. So that gives you the the B word in terms of insurance dollars, and then of course we have the billions coming from FEMA and from the Housing and Urban Development folks. But you know that kind of wraps us up for today, and we may continue this in a subsequent podcast. So I think what we have today are two big problems. And that I think we've addressed. One is that the flood maps don't know any different where the water's going to go. A, a line on a flood map doesn't mean the water's going to stop. And I think that's what all of us are saying and to the, those that are our listeners to spread the word that an X zone does not mean that your home is not going to flood. It means it's less likely to. And we've even seen that to be false. Secondly, we need to encourage more residents to buy flood insurance. We've got the new rating system that FEMA has uh, announced that they're going to delay for a year, which would reestablish the rates that the National Flood Insurance Program charges to make it more accurate. And we won't see that taking effect until October 2021. But I agree with Trey that when we start seeing the correct rates, it will change the behavior of the homeowners that are living in some risky structures. We will do a follow-up on the building code, maybe on some of the federal dollars that are coming in. And and I just want all of our listeners to know that in our podcast show notes, we'll have a link to the data we've talked about today, all the great information about our distinguished guests today, and kind of a summary of our conversation. And we take the notes so you don't have to. And I invite each of you to like our podcast and to share it with your colleagues and friends on social media. So I want to hear what what our listeners think today. We want to hear from you, and you can call me and leave a message. Um, The number there is 850-388-8002. That's 850-388-8002. Or send me an email, Lisa Miller at Lisa Miller Associates with an S on the end.com. I want to thank Melissa and Trey and Dina today, three wonderful Floridians who care who have experienced hurricanes, and with Melissa hoping she never does. And Trey, keep up the great work taking care of your customers as you have for over 25 years. And with that, I'll call it a day and just know that we have a passion for policy 
and client success, and we'll help you every step of the way. Until next time, be safe. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates' Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.